If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is not Sean Connery, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to the 430 Movie Podcast at 430movie.com. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a Star Trek fan and you haven't already picked up the hardcover edition of The 50-Year Mission, it's time for you to go out and get the paperback version of The 50-Year Mission, which is just out in paperback from St. Martin's Press. This is the complete oral history of Star Trek, the first 25 years, from me and Ed Gross. And if you think you know everything there is to know about Star Trek, think again. The 50-Year Mission, out in paperback now. And if you can't read, the audiobook is still available. Hey, are you Darren Docterman from the 430 movie? Why, why, yes, I am. Well, I recognize you because I have the Electric Now app, and I get to see all these great Electric Surge podcasts on video for the first time ever. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that uh, you came up to me and said hello. Well, I got to tell you, how can I watch all these incredible podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, The Best Movies Never Made, and uh, other things? Well, you can find us on uh, Distro and on uh, uh, the Electric Now app. And Stir. And Stir, see, I I, I knew you knew it. I did know. Because I'm not really a stranger (laughs) on the street. I'm Mark A. Altman, your (laughs) co-host. Well, maybe I should have been watching these podcasts all along. I would have recognized you. Join us on Electric Now, currently streaming on Distro TV and Stir, and coming soon to the Electric Now app. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Hello, America, and welcome back. <laughs> and all the ships at sea. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Last year, last year, we did the 51 greatest Star Trek episodes of all time. Right. To amuse your captain and make the year that much better, to make 2019 a great year. Well, we, this year, we we're going to usher in... We all 51 in... into five hours of shows. <laughs> <laughs> this year, we're going to usher in 2020. I know you were thinking, worst Star Trek episodes of all time? No, because there really aren't, um, well, that many. <laughs> or, or are there too many? Anyway, the, the point being, this is not a show. We come to celebrate Star Trek, not, not to, to bury it. On it. Not to bury it. So we are celebrating 51 greatest Star Trek moments of all time, and we got to... Um, give credit where credit is due. We, we were trying to decide what, what we, we want to do this New Year's, and it was Bill George yes. over a Shake Shack burger <laughs> who said to us, we should do the greatest Star Trek moments of all time. And, and he was going to be here, but unfortunately he was taken away by that other franchise. I, he's, he's busy uh, helping Luke Sk- uh, Skywalker rise. That no doesn't doubt. sound right. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> he is. Uh, he's busy helping. Uh, he's bu- busy ushering uh, Rise of Skywalker into the world. So Star Trek takes a se- uh, you know second uh, second position to Star Wars yet again. But you know, it's okay. But we we definitely want to have Bill George back because he's awesome. Yes, 
and he, he it was a great show and we feel bad and you know maybe we can do an appendix to this uh, where Bill tells us what his picks would have been that would had be he great. been here that would be great. So anyway, but before we do that, I want to introduce you to our special guest, uh, returning back again, the writer of Thor, X-Men First Class, the producer on Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and also Meredith Burgess's best friend, Damn Ashley right. Edward Miller. Welcome back. Thank Mr. you for Burgess. having <laughs> <laughs> Or Miss Burgess. If you're nasty. <laughs> and... He's back. The Burnett work let him out of his podcasting studio to make it all the way here to uh, Santa Monica across town so that he could join us once again. He is the inimitable Rancator extraordinaire, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. It's great to be back here. Great to be back talking about my favorite religion. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed it is. God. Star Trek is a religion, isn't it? Well, for us it is. Yeah. For others, not so much. It needs a reformation, though. (laughs) <laughs> for others a nightmare <laughs> oh there's a deep cut for you um, and by the way uh, hopefully you're enjoying this on audio you can also check us out on video on but the not at the now. same time you not well maybe <laughs> uh, you know my dad used to listen to football on one on the radio and then he was watching the basketball game on the TV and then he was reading about the thing on the so you could have it all on but uh, um you can watch it on the uh, Electric Now on Stir on Distro TV coming to IMD, IMDb TV and uh, I, I really like watching it on Stir. They have a great program guide and uh, you can check us out and and watch the podcast there along with Best New He's Never Made and uh, it's kind some of, of the a other Stir Trek. It's a Stir Trek, indeed it is. <laughs> and they have a dedicated Space 1999 channel. There you go on Stir. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Many people. Uh, We're not among them, but many (laughs) people wouldn't. Stick with the electric now. Forget the Space 1999. Oh, Rob, you know what else they have? A Wise Guy channel. 24-7 Wise Guy. Do they have all of the Wise Guy episodes? No, they don't have the music arc, and they don't have Nights in White Satin, and uh, nobody gets out of here alive. I know. It's really sad. Are you watching... uh, (laughs) It's the James Bond channel on Pluto. Uh, I I have dipped into it occasionally. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I mean, who would have thought, Mark? Who would have thought we would have a James Bond channel? There may be a lot wrong with the world right now, but there's a James Bond channel on Pluto TV. We're going to entertain ourselves right over the cliff. It's so true. And you know what's so sad? I have them all a thousand times. (laughs) I have all of them on... Laserdisc on DVD on VHS on Blu-ray on 4K now on Her Majesty and I still watch it on the stupid oh. channel because I'm like it's a James Bond. It's channel. like it's it's like when we were kids watching the ABC Sunday Night Movie. Indeed, it's on Her Majesty's streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> I love that. And you know what I love even more? Great moments from Star Trek. So do we. So um, this is going to work the same way it did uh, last uh, last year. We're going to count down starting Hopefully from fifty one. Hopefully, I don't know. Some people would argue uh, maybe take our time, but uh, but uh, so this first episode, we're going to start with fifty one. We're going to work our way up to number one, which uh, I guarantee you will, will will be a surprise. It will surprise and delight you. Hopefully, everyone. It will literally. bring you pain and delight. Pain and delight. <laughs> Not that one. And uh, and we're going to start with uh, Ashley E. Miller with number fifty one. At number fifty one. A lighter moment from one of the darker treks. I am speaking, of course, of uh, a little bright spot of, of musical joy from uh, Mr. Vic Fontaine and a Captain Benjamin Sisko uh, singing The Best is Yet to Come in the Deep Space Nine episode Bada Bing, 
Bada bang. Bada boom. Um, Bada boom. What a change of pace for that show. What a change of tone, but so welcome and so delightful. Um, Avery Brooks is uh, is great. Jimmy Darren is great. They sound amazing. Um, and it's just fun, and it's so earned, and it's, it's so well-deserved. And I think nicely sets up uh, our 51 best moments of Star Trek. Because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. <laughs> you know, and I think we may even see more Vic Fontaine on this list as we uh, climb to uh, count down to number one. Um, okay, fine choice. Deep Space Nine already on the board with, uh, with a pick. Not surprising. I think we'll, there'll be a lot of Deep Space Nine to come. And now I want to remind you, every Star Trek show, every Star Trek show is eligible. Um, Star Trek, through the latest iterations of Star Trek. Um, so... Um, it's the entire Penelope right. of Star Trek. <laughs> Penelope? Penelope. <laughs> Penelope. P-A-N-Panoply. Penelope. Yes. Penelope. 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 I have a panoply of Penelopes. About a plethora of a panoply of Penelopes. It's a myriad of choices. Myriad of Miriams. That was number 51. Myriad the librarian. <laughs> I, I I predict there will be no ch- no choices from Miri. Speaking of, although Michael J. Pollard just died, oh, no, Michael J. Pollard Oh, oh really? We don't know. Look at my legs. Look at my legs. No, not now. Maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You maybe maybe I spoke too soon. Number fifty, uh, Mister Robert Meyer Burnett. Well, mine is is not from inside Star Trek uh, canon. It's from outside of Star Trek canon. It's a real-life moment when astronaut Samantha Cristoforetti wore a Star Trek Voyager uniform on the International Space Station. Right. Bringing Star Trek someplace the Enterprise Space Shuttle never went, into orbit. For real. (laughs) See, I didn't tell you guys when we said great Star Trek moments, I don't mean us, I mean the audience, (laughs) that it could also be pop culture. You didn't tell us either. What? That's not true. <laughs> and and so Rob, you know, already going to that Rob, well, first out of the box with a fine choice of uh, Star Trek in popular culture, and of course. Uh, but she could have worn any uniform, but she wore a Star Trek Voyager uniform. I'm sure because, well, another one of my moments I'll talk about later. But Star Trek Voyager in space for real, not the original series, not the Next Generation, not Deep Space Nine, but Star Trek Voyager makes it to orbit first. Well, okay. it's easily the best thing that ever happened in a Voyager uniform. <laughs> <laughs> or in the International Space Station. International Space Station. <laughs> okay, that's wow. actually a great choice. That's a great choice. So, um, Darren Docterman, number 49. Number 49. Um, I'm going to go with uh, something that is uh, in one of the movies. It's not Star Trek Six, clearly. It's, it's not Star Trek Six. You won't find Star Trek Six on my list. Um, but you will find first contact. Ooh, wow. Mm. Mm. And I'm going to pick the moment that the Vulcans land and uh, and greet uh, greet earthlings such really? as, such as they are. Cuz I think that's a lovely moment. It is a lovely moment. I will stand behind you wholeheartedly in in support cuz it's first contact day. Agree. Yeah. That's about the only emotional moment I felt in the movie, but it's a good one, <laughs> and I stand by that one. 
Okay, great. <laughs> no, I mean, look, there, there are a lot of great moments in, in First Contact, and and you know that's a that is a very you know Jerry Goldsmith's music. Absolutely. And there's there's a, Jamie Cromwell's fantastic performance. Meredith Burgess. Meredith Burgess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, great. That's uh, that was number forty nine. Now we're on the forty eight. Forty eight. Forty eight on the countdown. Yes. And I'm not going to do the voice, but it is your turn. It is. Okay. <laughs> we have not had the original Star Trek. No, because, on the countdown yet. Because this is at the tail end of the of the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I was toying with just putting the Orville, but um, you know, as as as, as But unfortunately, that it, was number 52. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, I, I as a great how the Orville is number Star 2. Trek the Next Generation, you know, but I'm not I'm not but I'm not. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to go with the teaser to Brandon Braga's cause and effect where the Enterprise blows up back when it was novel. Right. You know? Wow. Uh, Just the teaser where the Enterprise is destroyed. Well, yeah, where the Enterprise blows up in the teaser of cause and effect. Yes. I, 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 you know, basically it was back when these sort of mind frack episodes were fresh. We hadn't really seen a lot of, we hadn't seen the Enterprise blow up since Star Trek Three. Before it became de rigueur to keep blowing up the Enterprise every right. three minutes, just to watch its um, expression change. But uh, but I think it was uh, it was a terrific uh, it's a, ter- a terrific moment. All hands moment. abandoned ship. All hands abandoned. <laughs> I mean that's great. I mean that, it, it, remember what it was like to see that for the first time before we seen nine thousand of these time anomaly episodes. What's interesting yep. isn't wasn't that also the way that Harlan Ellison wanted to start the Star Trek movie. I think that was one of his ideas to start out the Star Trek movie and have everyone dead. And the rest of the movie was just finding out what happened. Star Trek. Schmuckbait. Yes. <laughs> one of my favorite Star Trek novels, Prime Directive, sort of begins that way. That's correct. That's correct. It's a great scene. But yes. Good one. That yeah. episode teaser is very exciting. Absolutely. For a very exciting episode. Yeah. No, and, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting to go back you know, because I think I assume that we all did our homework and, and went back and looked at some of these episodes, and uh, you know, it's 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 nice to take that trip down memory lane and, and see uh, you know, some of these episodes. That I, what I like about doing Star Trek moments yeah. is the fact that you know, we last year it, it, there are episodes that would never get close to our best of list, right? right? I mean, I think we'll see as we go through this. There are a lot of episodes that are pretty bad actually, but had great moments, right? And uh, so it's a real opportunity to, to revisit maybe some of the less beloved Star Trek episodes. We touched on it in our underrated episodes and our guilty pleasures, but I think there are going to be some real surprises here. Let's find out. <laughs> Ashley E. Miller. Ashley E. Miller with the surprise. 47. So, yes, that's it. Um, speaking of, uh, of teasers that begin with ships blowing up, uh, and is a pretty damn good moment in uh, in something that that may not be be beloved particularly like at these tables, but uh, the destruction of the Kelvin under the command of George Kirk in Star Trek two thousand nine, which regardless of what and I, there's a diversity of opinions on the rest of the film, um, is a pretty damn good emotional moment that feels like okay, like that that is a movie. What is it? A boy. A boy? Tell me about it. He's beautiful. George, you should be here. Impact alert. What are we going to call him? We can name him after your father. 
Tiberius, you kidding me? No, that's the worst. Let's name him after your dad. Let's call him Jim. If Scott Mance was here, he would say it was the Citizen Kane. It was a Citizen Star Kane Trek of... teasers. That's right. But, uh, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, look, I agree with you. I think that, that you know, regardless of what you think of that movie, that that uh, first, uh, it's 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 uh, it's great. The, the first. Uh, that that teaser, that whole that whole sequence, and uh, him, you know, ramming into the, uh, uh, you know, the the, the ship, the ship, and and uh, everybody abandoning ship, and it's 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 you know great score and uh, production value. You you really it was immediately it signified that oh my god, this is a Star Trek movie that has a budget, you know, right. people right. Being, you know out into space and and, and Thor is uh, in it. And, th- and Thor is in it. And you know what I thought when I watched a it? Thor, I'd really Thor. like to see a movie where he comes back. No, I never thought that. <laughs> Me um, neither. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a... Look, regardless of what you think of 2009, I think it's hard to quibble with. Now, I know Darren did say he would have liked to have seen the production aesthetic of, of the original show better represented in that teaser mm-hmm. to make the transition from mm-hmm. one universe to the next. I don't disagree with that, but I, I think for what it is, for what's on film, great sequence. What do you think, Rob? Of the film, you know what? I think the first 10 minutes of Star Trek 09 is what I watch, and then I turn it off. Fair <laughs> enough. See? You make my point for me. Uh, I mean, I like the idea that up until that, that could I could, in my mind, I can justify it as being canonical Star Trek. So, and I like the Kelvin as a ship. There you go. Fantastic. And, and uh, no, and look, and that's what you, you know. That's what you ask for from a teaser. You yeah. know, it, it, the idea is to pull you in, to you know, tease you, to, to, to tease you with <laughs> with what's come, what's to come. By the way, how did we? And this is probably my failing. This was forty seven. Yes. Yeah. How did I not pick something that Brandon Braga had something to do with on a number forty seven? Considering you know Brandon's, Brandon's obsession with the number forty seven. That appears again and again. And, well, and obviously, that number means nothing to any of us. Really, I, I have no idea what you're talking you talking about. <laughs> okay, so if you go if you go back and you and you look at uh, the Brandon Braga oeuvre, like the number forty seven appears again and again and again and again. Hmm. It keeps coming up. Like it's his personal answer to like you know what is the secret to the to the universe. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. Right now, that my friends is a deep dive on uh, on Star Trek. So, if for all the kids out there who are listening, like just just Google Brandon Braga forty seven and and see what comes up. Wow! All right, okay. two N's, one G. You heard it here second. Okay. <laughs> um, so that brings us for forty six. Forty six. Can you? Uh, I should I start? Yes, you should. <laughs> so a number of historical figures have always been represented throughout Star Trek history. We saw everybody from Amelia Earhart to Abraham Lincoln. Right. But I always liked it. Well, it happened very small. Very, very, very seldom. But but I'm going to go to the last season-ending cliffhanger of Star Trek The Next Generation. That would be Descent Part 1. In the opening of Descent Part 1, Dr. Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. the actual Stephen Hawking, right. appears as himself in a in a hologram program where he's playing cards with data 
Albert Einstein. The actual Albert Einstein. Right. Yeah, <laughs> not, the crazy not the part. actual Albert Einstein, but the real Stephen Hawking playing himself in a holographic simulation in the beginning of Descent Part 1. Um, many people visited the set. They had Reagan come visit the set of Star Trek The Next Generation. Colin Powell came with the nuclear football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But Stephen Hawking... And at one point when they were shooting that episode, he had himself removed out of his wheelchair and actually put in the captain's seat. Yeah. The, wow. the captain's chair on the bridge of the Enterprise D. And I I always loved that moment. And I believe it was Brandon Bragg who said the most intimidating experience he ever had on Star Trek, <laughs> other than number 47, was um, <laughs> was the day Stephen Hawking was there, writing a scene for Stephen Hawking. And apparently they brought him by the transporter room set and... He uh, he uh, typed in that he said, "I'm working on one of these," <laughs> which inspired a book by Bill Shatner. Yes. I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, and it's funny because that obviously is the piece of technology that that a lot of people say is the most unlikely to ever be um, realized. A piece, a piece of Star Trek technology that's yes. probably, but uh, but if anyone could have done it, it was Stephen Hawking. Yes, or Albert Einstein, but he wasn't real. In no, that episode, he was just no. a hologram. <laughs> he was just a hologram. And Abraham Lincoln wasn't real either. He was just a projection that the aliens on Excalbia decided to use. Yeah, That's but right. Colonel Green was real. Colonel, and so was uh, Kalis. Yeah, yeah, Kalis the Unforgettable. That's right. <laughs> I'd forgotten about him. Oh, I have a feeling. Oh. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we will see the Savage Curtain again. I don't know. Just saying. Okay, forty uh, forty six. Darren Document. forty six. Um. I'm going to bop into TOS. Um, into time. Into an, episode, time. into an episode that is uh, uh, a lot of fun, a little goofy, but it's uh, still exciting and one of the greatest uh, guest star performances uh, ever. William Marshall as... Anyone? Anyone? Dr. Richard Dr. Daystrom. Dr. Richard yeah. Daystrom. Building on my work. <laughs> yes. It's... Actually, that moment is his meltdown on the bridge. Yes, uh, when he's when he goes into his tirade about uh, you know uh, all his colleagues who, who couldn't even begin to understand my systems, <laughs> and, and, and he he basically has a a nervous breakdown uh, as his uh, uh, creation is destroying life. Well, that's because they didn't have counselors on the uh, Enterprise at the time, no doubt. And that is why he wasn't in the poker game. With Stephen Hawking, because <laughs> right. he's just got no poker face. Yeah. He's stuck he just in the like Daisy freaks out oh, again. Crazy just... Rick, it's Crazy <laughs> Rick again. <laughs> but uh, remember, because uh, Doctor Daystrom was a uh, boy genius, basically that uh, invented the multitronic systems that were uh, throughout all of the starships on the, uh, in the Federation, and uh, the uh, the M five unit that he uh, installed on the Enterprise. Uh, was the ultimate uh, form of these because he had attached his own engrams to the memory systems, and so it thought like a human being. You might even say it became the ultimate computer. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I just love the meltdown. It's just so fun to watch. It's a great pick. Another great pick. And, you know, that, that's a great example of what I was saying. There's so many great Star Trek episodes that weren't on our 51 list. Mm-hmm. And Ultimate Computer is an example. Wonderful episode yeah. featuring the USS Lexington. Right. And Excalibur. Commodore Wesley. That's right. Our I, compliments to Captain Dunsell. You know, so many great things that came out of that episode. Um, and, you know, it just there's such a... Um, 
you know, a plethora of, of great episodes. <laughs> so it's nice to see the ultimate computer represented in our list because yes, uh, I always, uh, I was in, in, in love that episode. And, you know, yet I probably wouldn't have, it didn't make it to our top, right. ten, but it, it definitely made it to our top 51. So that's good to see. Well, that brings us to episode, episode 44. 44. 44. And uh, that number holds no special significance to Brandon Bragg or anybody else. <laughs> but, um, and my pick is from the uh, animated Star Trek series uh, yesteryear. It's I Chaya's mm-hmm. Sacrifice for Baby Sp- for, uh, for Spock. For, for Baby Spock. For Baby Spock. <laughs> Spock. Baby Yoda. <laughs> I the Mandalorian sacrifice. sacrifices himself. I Chaya's Sacrifice for McClunky. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wore my McClunky T-shirt today. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Are there McClunky T-shirts? Oh, I have one. Bill oh. Hunt. Bill Hunt on the the digital bits is Bill Hunt on his digital bits store on T Public. He made a McClunky T-shirt. I'm making nice. a note of that right and now. And it's really good. You know what there Kay. aren't? Baby Yoda toys. Well, they're coming on June. Apparently, they can't make them quick enough. I June, got a Baby Yoda dude, T-shirt yesterday. We went to to Disneyland over the weekend. Mm-hmm. My my ten year old and I we scoured. Disneyland looking for Baby Yoda. You know what we found? We found the the ATST from episode four of The Mandalorian, an episode that like had basically <laughs> just come out, but there was no goddamn Baby Yoda. Because that's just packaging. Was there right. We thought about the... getting an old Yoda and shaving it, but then we decided that would be wrong. That's just why do you do you that? You know what I think? Because <laughs> then you do? have to explain to people what you mean when you say I shaved the old Yoda this week. If I was Disney, <laughs> I would put out an empty box and call it the Early Bird and have Baby Yoda, and then they yep. send it to you in April. Yep. But this way, you could give it as a gift. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, that also sounds like something familiar. I'm sure my son would really love to play with a box of air. You know, with the, you know, pretend it's Baby Yoda. It's coming in April. So that's your, number, that's your number 44? Baby no, Yoda? My, my, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is my number. No, 44 yes, the, the sacrifice is, is, is Aichaya's sacrifice. It will not be long now, old friend. You made the desert crossing most efficiently. You will not disappoint Sarek in your Kazwan. I wanted only to help Aichaya. He was my father's before he was mine. To lose him... A Vulcan would face such a loss without tears. How? By understanding every life comes to an end when time demands it. Loss of life is to be mourned, but only if the life was wasted. Achaya's was not. Which, you know, for anybody who's lost a pet, it's yes. a very moving, and I, I, we've talked about this before, dismissing the animated series you do at your own peril, yeah. because there are some great moments, and I think we'll probably see some other moments from the animated mm-hmm. series, but, you know, it's just, a, had this been in the um, uh, in the uh, the live-action series, I think it would be, you know, one of the great moments in the history of Star Trek, mm-hmm. and, um, in fact, I, I think, uh, you know, they had to sell a lot in... Um, the Forge episode of Enterprise, and, and it was really cool to sort of see um, because it has sort of become sort of an iconic Star Trek. But what about what animal. about the other Vulcan kids? Uh, Pet Lamatia that was destroyed. Well, <laughs> that attacked, <laughs> they knew what they that were yeah, to say. Right. Yeah, I mean, some <laughs> you know, of there's pets all over the place dying. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure, like you know, more beagles than John Wicks got whacked by Russian mobsters. Well, this but was we the original John Wick. Them. You know, yeah. he loses. You know, Spock loses the sellout and goes on a phaser rampage. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of headshots. Tonight's episode: phaser rampage. <laughs> <laughs> you killed my sellout. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's coming for the Klingons. So um, yeah. So I, anyway, I, I look. I think it's a great moment. I think it's uh, it's uh, you know even for people who aren't Star Trek fans, it's it's great. You know, um, and it's a sweet story. It's a sweet story and uh, written by the great uh, DC Fontana, mm-hmm. who passed away uh, a few weeks ago and uh, brought so much to Star Trek. This is just one of the many examples of um, uh, one of many fantastic uh, moments that she wrote Indeed. for the show. Okay. Okay. That was 44. Now Now, we're on to 43. So I I will begin by saying I stand corrected. I went out looking for a list of examples of of 47 uh, and was reminded that the 47 originated with Joe Minoski, but it appears that Brannon... Uh, embraced it more than any human being alive. This is all happening in real time. It's all happening in real time. <laughs> Your story keeps changing, Mr. Miller. Well, yeah. Just like a Joe Minoski episode. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just do it. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps changing. Well, in another timeline, you see. In another reality. In another reality. I could and have you called know, you friend. Yeah. Speaking of That's where we of call time. him guest and not Trexpert. Ah, guestpert. <laughs> a guestpert. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. It's like... Um, I will sleep with one eye open. Um, speaking of time travel, uh, number 43. Number 43. 43. I think is one of the cleanest, most elegant, amusing, and delightful uh, explanations of time travel in the history of Star Trek or damned near anything. In Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, Kirk needs a little spending cash, and so he sells his glasses, and McCoy asks him, weren't those a gift from Spock? And Kirk says, and they will be again. That's the beauty of it, which is- Spock says, weren't those a gift from Dr. Dr. McCoy? McCoy. Again, you're in a different reality. (laughs) (laughs) Meredith Burgess and Jessica Von Pottermaker did a movie with Henry Ford, you bastard. (laughs) I can't believe I did that. Yes, we all know what I'm talking about. We do. We all know what he did. Yeah, we all know what I did there. Look, it's all hanging out there for everyone to see that I've done it. Uh, but I just I, <laughs> what I love about it is that it is just it's it's very clearly had to be Nick Meyer kind of winking at himself, um, and uh, it's just to me it was just it was just delightful. Because it's a scene out of time after time. Well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, literally. I, don't, I think yes. we said that when we interviewed him. It's like, yeah, and, and let, let's talk about your remake of Time After Time, <laughs> <Right>. Star Trek War. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, all the great moments in Star Trek Four, you know, are from Nick because Nick yeah. wrote all the scenes in San Francisco. Hart right. Bennett wrote the wraparounds, which are clunky and McClunky and McClunky. terrible. Uh, but, uh, but uh, the, uh, you know, there's some great moments in, and that, that may be one of the best. Yeah. You know, um, selling the, the glasses for, for, so they can have exact change. That's right. So. Yes, um, 18th century American. Quite valuable. Are you sure you want to part with them? How much would you give me for them? Excuse me. Weren't those a birthday present from Dr. McCoy? And they will be again. That's the beauty of it. How much? Well, they'd be worth more if the lenses were intact. I'll give you $100. Is that a lot? Hmm. Great, great, great choice. I'll be curious to see if Star Trek Four or any of the other movies make an appearance on our list. Indeed. As we continue Again. to number 42. 42. Mr. Rob Burnett, you're 42. back. 42. 
sort of apropos the uni- the the answer to life, the universe, and everything. My my number forty two moment is what I think is one of the greatest canonical Star Trek twisty timey. We got time travel. We got alternate universes. We got all kinds of crazy canonical stuff in the reveal at the end of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation at the end of Redemption Part 1 when Denise Crosby comes back mm-hmm. as her own daughter. Uh, the product the product of a, a, a concubine. She was a, It's so crazy. The reveal of Sela as being one of the architects behind the Klingon-Romulan War, the Klingon-Civil War that is happening in the end of Redemption Part 1, which is the fourth season cliffhanger, when she finally, we've seen her in another episode before that in the shadows, but when she finally walks out of the shadows, everybody was like, what? What? Star Trek is now Falcon Crest. And and when you you think about it, it, of course, her character's... uh, Origins come from the third season classic Yesterday's Enterprise when the Enterprise C goes back in time from an alternate universe to our universe with an alternate universe version of Tasha Yar who didn't die like she died in Skin of Evil in our universe who winds up the concubine of a Romulan commander? I don't know. They have a baby. <laughs> they have I'm a baby. I'm trying to forget, Rob. They have a baby, baby Sela. Who then yeah, you club a baby Sela because you want a Mila. <laughs> grows up and becomes... And looks exactly like Tasha Yar. Looks exactly like Tasha Yar. And I have to tell you, and she comes back. And they will be again. Sela That's the beauty of it. comes back. And I just think of everything Star Trek has ever done in its entire history, the creation of Sela is one of the wackiest. And I dearly love it. <laughs> I also dearly love it. I thought it was nifty. I mean, insane, but nifty in its audacity. I mean, it combined, you know, really the the two of the greatest episodes of the next generation, especially up to that point, Sins of the Father and uh, and Yesterday's Enterprise. Um, it was a reasonable extrapolation of what might have happened after Yesterday's Enterprise, and also reminds me how important Worf really became to that show in ways I don't think anybody expected mm-hmm. uh, when the next generation began. I mean, he Certainly kind of became Gene a Roddenberry. No, not for sure, not. Um, so, I mean, just the existence of redemption itself, I think, is is interesting in terms of how it foregrounded him. Um, and it's probably most attributable to Ron Moore and his his personal uh, obsession with the uh, with the Klingons. All right. Well, this is where I leave you, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, we have to come to some kind of consensus for this list. I'm in the minority because <laughs> I think the Sela twist was, well, it would would have fitted very well on Happy Days <laughs> with the 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 shark and the fawns <laughs> and a motorcycle. Uh, I just think it's awful. I mean, partially <laughs> one of the reasons I might feel that way is because it was somebody's absurd idea. Well, we got Leonard Nimoy back on the show to play Spock on the Next Generation. What can we do to make it better? That's right. <laughs> Let's put Denise Crosby in as her illegitimate daughter, Sela. You know, it's like, but oh my the God. conceit behind it. I just—it's the most fanboy. It's the kind of thing you'd come up with when you were drunk at Lola's on a Sunday night. But they actually did it. Right. It's definitely not playing it safe. I want to know how it's they gone, convinced though. Rick Berman to go with this idea. Right. I think it was Denise who came up with the idea to get back on the show 
and at the mo at the time they were like, okay. <laughs> 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 because I think people loved yesterday's enterprise so much. Sure. You know, it's like sometimes it's like you're so successful with something and you want to recapture that lightning in a bottle, but just because you can do a thing does not believe you <laughs> should do a it. thing. I love it. Yeah, clearly. And boy, does she look good in that Romulan and, uniform. You know, sometimes you just get blinded by like you you realize with you had a page boy haircut. What, you uh. love what an actor is doing or you love what's happening with a, with a character and, you know, you... You rack your brain trying to think of ways to bring that character back or do something else, and I, I think you know I've, I know I've convinced myself to you know to, to make those kinds of of beautiful mistakes. Um, but you know what? They they always those beautiful mistakes always come from acts of love or okay. at least acts of martinis. We need to move faster. Yeah. Well, this is about time <laughs> Wait, no, no, travel. No, no, you have to so. say move faster. <laughs> I wonder if that scene's going to be on our list. I think we're going to piss a couple people off if that scene's not on our list. Well, hopefully the people not aren't be. on this panel. <laughs> I'm already pissed off. Sila? Okay, moving on. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're, we, we, who, who picked that? Oh, Rob. I, I did. did. Of course. So, <laughs> Darren Doctor. What is your name, 41? 41. Number two. Uh, you're not a number. Yes, you're a free man. Yes, who number two work for? <laughs> um, my pick is also a Tasha Yar moment, actually. <laughs> it's her memorial with the oh. little uh, with oh. the little uh, uh, dime store uh, jewel uh, hologram uh, giving the uh, farewell message to the crew, mm-hmm. which I think is very sweet, and it's uh, nice to see uh, Data uh, react there because he was with her. And uh, it mm-hmm. was it was very sweet and a, a nice ending, and it should have stayed the ending to the Tasha Yar character, except for yes, yesterday's Enterprise. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. All good but yes. Well, you know, look, I will I will say, and I will see if it shows up on this list. That, well, as a matter of fact, it does at forty one. Um, <laughs> forty one, believe it or not, is in a way a Tasha Yar moment. It's from Measure of a Man. Oh, yeah. But I just did 41. Number 40 is, uh, (laughs) number 40, I'm sorry, is is Measure of a Man. Yes. Picard's speech where he argues for the sentience and the freedom of Data by arguing, basically, that he had sex with Tasha Yar. Right. That makes him his own man. Right. The (laughs) sex bot is sitting right there, Commander. And 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 in a way, it pays off what I think is a really awful <laughs> moment. It's kind of evil, and 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 redeems it by doing something really cool with the character because it, it it's it's harkening back to uh, Naked Now, another awful episode, and redeeming that by basically saying that Tasha Yar and Data had sex, which means that he's not just a robot. He's a he's stage more five than that. And that he he should be entitled to the same freedom and and uh, independence and and, so, and it's a great speech. It's a great speech. You, it you, is. By we've, we've, give. Well, well, there it, it sits. Fuck it. He seems reasonably aware to me, <laughs> Commander. And and, that, and that's an episode that that features so many of those kind of um, uh, uh, you know sci-fi tropes like. There's no one else who can play the, you know, the prosecutor other than Riker, <laughs> you know, because he's in the principal cast. It works, you know, it works, and uh, it's um, it, it's fun. 
and, oh. and and his defense counselor is Picard, right. but it's, <laughs> it's like, but yet it's a wonderful episode with a, a a bountiful array of wonderful moments of which I think that closing speech and you know we literally could probably do fifty one great Shatner speeches and ten great Picard speeches too. Um, did I, but uh, but but we're not. You're stoking the flames of dissension. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, no no look I, I have to say I think this list has been very balanced like uh, a good diet. There's a little vegetables, sure. there's a little fruit, there's a little, you know, a little bit of carbs. The carbs are coming. And, uh, you know, nine. you know, and, and, <laughs> you know we're, we're balancing it very well, I think, if I do say so myself. Um, okay. So that was episode uh, number 40, 40, I believe. The Tasha yeah. Yar saga. We're now into the 30s. This would be number 39, Ashley E. Miller. Number 39 uh, combines two generations of Star Trek. Two generations of yes. engineers. As one older engineer learns how the younger engineer mismanages his relationship with his captain by always giving him accurate repair estimates. <laughs> uh, and Scotty, to his horror, uh, tells uh, LaForge, you've got a lot to learn if you want people to think of you as a miracle worker. It was from uh, Next Generation's Relics. Yeah. Do you mind a little advice? Starfleet captains are like children. They want everything right now, and they want it their way. But the secret is to give them only what they need, not what they want. Yeah, well, I told the captain I'd have this analysis done in an hour. How long would it really take? An hour? Oh, you didn't tell him how long it would really take, did you? Well, of course I did. Oh, laddie, you've got a lot to learn if you want people to think of you as a miracle worker. Which was an otherwise, I think unremarkable episode other than I loved all the stuff that happened between the, the characters. As oh, a, as... I, I disagree. I think it has that wonderful, wonderful scene where he goes to the original the bridge. bridge mm-hmm. on the... Oh, and, yeah. uh, and that's and where that line comes. I mean mainly as a sort of a, as a plot, as, a, as an oh, overall story. The now, the stuff with him, all, yeah. all that was, yeah, yeah. what you're talking about is great. I love all that. I mean, there is something really interesting about a guy who feels out of time and who feels that he has no use, that technology has passed him by, you know, who, who basically shows his worth as, a, as an you know, older person who thinks he's out of step with the time. Okay, boomer. Who ends up becoming right. – yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, so I think that it's um, – so I think maybe you're dismissing it a little more. It wasn't on our top 51 list, so I think that says something. But at the same time – I wouldn't just dismiss it out of hand. And I do think that that is one of the great scenes where he goes to the uh, bridge and, uh, you know, no bloody A, no bloody B, no bloody C. Also, in that episode, one of the most intriguing ancient civilizations that we never know anything about mm-hmm. is the people who built that Dyson That's Sphere. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love the idea of a Dyson Sphere. It, it pops up a lot and in, in, in you read about it a lot nowadays on the Internet with things. But I remember... I knew what one was, but what a great thing to actually see it. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And also, the untapped, the untapped capability of the transporter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. This would solve so many problems. <laughs> it, would, it would solve you know, uh, you know, long, long distance uh, space uh, travel when you can basically just put people in stasis. Gen- in a, generational in a, ships. Yeah. Or as they mm-hmm. said in Space 1999, stasis. Stasis. There was yes. one episode uh, <laughs> uh, where I was watching it on Star TV the other day, uh, and 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 they kept going, he, "You let him out of stasis, stasis. It's making me crazy. I'm going to put him back in stasis. Stop." <laughs> Second yes. season. What do you expect? Fred Freiberger. It's all his fault. Ah, uh, see, 
Don't give hit into hate. Let's can we do the the, the ten best uh, space ninety nine moments? No. Okay. <laughs> the moon explodes. Number one. So, you that, know, so that was thirty nine. Thirty nine. Thirty nine. That brings us to thirty eight. Thirty eight. You know, I'm I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat Gaffing? because I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to have two moments because they both involve doors opening or and closing. closing. <laughs> they do doors opening and closing. Star Trek the motion picture. Ladies and gentlemen, Star Trek the motion picture, one of my favorite moments ever in Star Trek history is when that shuttle door opens, revealing Admiral James T. Kirk for the very first time yes. in Star Trek the motion picture. The air, air tram shuttle. The air tram shuttle with one of the most, in that badass Admiral's uniform, looking like the baller he is. We haven't seen him in 10 <laughs> years. He shows up, man, looking like I mean, this guy is a shot caller par excellence, and uh, I am never not delighted. Whenever I see, whenever I see that moment, it gets me every time. I recently saw Star Trek: The Motion Picture in the theater for its 40th anniversary, and man, do I love that moment! And then I want to add a postscript to that. There's another moment in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Where a door closes, mm-hmm. or or a, or a room divider, yes, uh, a glass door, it's a door closes. Come on, what? You can't, those are two totally different scenes. I can't say that. No, because it's either one or the other. All right, and one of us may have that also All right, in I'll our list. It. I'll leave oh, it for someone else. Don't. I mean, you can't just like say it's like saying there are rules. You know, oh, I was going to find the Botany Bay. And then, and then they let it go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, I, just think, I didn't think anyone would uh, would use anyone would notice. Y'all know what I mean, anyway. Y'all know one scene. There, there you you can't one scene. Pay. All right, a half hour. I, I know. I mean, I know it's a long movie, but you can't go from the he shows up to like, shows up. All right, that, I just how that much moment, has happened? One of my favorite moments in all of Star Trek. Which one? When that door opens. It's great. It and is you great. know. The, 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 star, the original Star Trek and Jerry Finneman so fetishized Shatner's eyes throughout that series. So to start Star Trek the motion picture with this, you know, it's not quite an ECU, but this tight close-up to get you know, eyes on glittering. his eyes through the slats in the shuttle. He can't shuttle. wait to get out into Starfleet it's Command. so great. He's chomping at the bit. He's already chomping standing. Chomping at the bit. And he I just know. Got, it's just so great. It's so great. So great. I, I agree with you about that. I mean, I love both those scenes. But pick one. Yeah, that was, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so that was number... Uh, 30, 39. 30, no, no 38. 38. We're on the 37. 37. 37. Not the 37s. No. Not the uh, That will not show up on any of our lists <laughs> except one. <laughs> <laughs> Amelia Earhart. <laughs> hey, it's a pickup truck in space. All right. Yay. Here we go. Back to TOS. Lest we fill up its tank. Yes. Number 37, my choice, is the seduction of Kirk by the lovely Drusilla. The yes. the uh, blonde slave on the uh, Roman planet, uh, who she seduces Kirk. Kirk isn't isn't doing any uh, any moves. He's a he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner. He's just he, incarcerated. He, he he asks, uh, I don't know how it is on your planet, but uh, is this some kind of torture? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a it's a wonderful scene. And again, you pan up to the oil lamp. And uh, you know what's going on in that oil and, lamp, and and uh, it's followed by perhaps one of the greatest throwaway lines Kirk has ever given mm-hmm. when he he runs out to rescue uh, uh, McCoy and Spock from the prison. Um, they ask him, Jim, what happened? They uh, 
threw me a few curves. We'll but allow it. <laughs> we'll allow it. Yeah, even though it's, all, it's all part of the same. It's all part of the same, same moment. Shtick. You know, when I was five years old and saw that episode for the first time, I knew even then that I wanted to be seduced <laughs> by a slave girl, and nothing has changed in fifty years. There you go. Yeah, right. that, that, look, it's, again, another episode, Bread and Circuses, which I don't believe was in our top 51, which has so much to offer. It's a great episode, though. Yes. Not one nice. I liked as a kid, but one that I oh, love I've as, come a, to appreciate as a mother. more and more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number 37. My pick for number 30, number 37, right? 36. Now. Number 36, sorry. 36. I stand corrected. Okay. I sit one job. <laughs> Just one. Number, number 36. Is the scene from Crimson Tide mm. where the submarine is damaged after uh, suffering um, uh, uh, from death charges? They, they, they're they, they're they're desperate to uh, send a signal to stop nuclear nuclear Armageddon, and only one man can fix the engines. And how does Denzel Washington motivate him? He says, "I need you to be like Scotty. You got to get those engines working." You ever watch Star Trek? Star Trek, you know Star Trek and USS Enterprise. Go, all right. You remember when the Klingons were gonna blow up the Enterprise and Captain Kirk calls down to Scotty? He says, Scotty, I gotta have more power. He needs more, more, more speed. More speed, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm Captain Kirk. You're Scotty. I need more power. I'm telling you, if you do not get this radio up, a billion people are gonna die. Now it's all up to you. I know that's a shitty deal, but you got it. Can you handle it? It is, uh, you know, um, uh, scenes written actually by Quentin Tarantino, uh, who did a polish on that script, and it's great. In a great, it's a great movie. It's, it's a, a great Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman movie. It is not a movie you expect to hear Star Trek name checked, okay. but it actually makes a hell of a lot of sense because, of course, you know, in a lot of ways, Star Trek, the original in particular, was a submarine movie. You know, a sure. World War II submarine movie. Certainly, in episodes like Balance of Terror, and uh, it's uh, it's a great scene and in, in, in what I think is a great movie by uh, Tony Scott. So, there Crimson Tide is my pick for thirty six. Okay. As, 35. 35. 35. It's a number. It has it's a number. Nobody in Star Trek is obsessed with it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> not uh, Joe Minoski, not Meredith Burgess. Uh, number 35. <laughs> what are you, number 35? There's so many possibilities. Would you get 35. on with it? <laughs> yes. Yes, I will. I'm going to go with a slightly more serious moment. Well, okay. actually, it's a, one of the most serious moments in the history Crimson of Star Crimson Tide Trek. wasn't serious. The whole world is about to have nuclear war. You know what? This is this is a little bit Crimson Tide because it's also a moment about a mutiny. Mm. Uh, in, uh, I would say, the, the middle of uh, Deep Space Nine's oh, Dominion okay. War arc. Um, and, uh, you know, all, as it sort of always seemed on the show, all hope seemed lost. And then the Dominion takes one step too far uh, with Cardassia, one step too far for uh, for Casey Biggs as as Galdamar, uh, who gives one of my very favorite Star Trek speeches of all time, um, ending with resist, resist today, resist tomorrow, resist until the last Dominion soldier is driven from our soil and Deep Space Nine's changing face of evil, um, which signaled uh, a major change, a major turn of events uh, in the Dominion War for our heroes. And also, I think, demonstrated one of the things that was great about uh, Deep Space Nine, which was just how deep their bench was uh, for their actors and how actors who were in these parts that 
begin as, you know, these characters are talk-tos. Damar was Ducat's talk-to, but he was so well cast that Ira Bear and his staff were able to give Casey Biggs, you know, this material that elevated him. I mean, there, there's a many moments that I won't talk about, uh, except for this one. Um, but wow, that was just a, a showstopper because it... it, it in terms of the character and what we expected, I think at least for me, from from the actor, um, it was it was bracing and, and awesome, uh, and it's and it's one of my favorite moments of Deep Space Nine. History. You know what's so funny? When he said mutiny, this is where my mind went to. Uh-huh. I thought, uh, and that's when we'll move against him. Right? Can you play back the tape? <laughs> mutiny! <laughs> you know, in Return of Out Intruder, you're throwing I, out another moment. Oh shoot! Really? I think you've taken your moment. No, that's not my moment. I don't pick that. I don't pick that. I'm just saying my mind went there. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh-huh. That's all he's saying. I'm not saying I would pick it. I'm saying that that's where my mind Things. went. Some might my, think about it. That's Some a might. great scene. Look, it's a great scene. Uh, you know, uh, Casey Biggs was fantastic. Uh, again, we've talked about the deep bench on Deep Space Nine. What an amazing ensemble, you know. And and you start to go through the list with Andy Robinson and 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 and, and Armin and and uh, not Armin uh, Max and and and, and uh, the late Aaron Eisenberg and Salmage. And then you know it's like and of course uh, Mark Alamo, who seemed very bitter in that Star Trek Deep Space Nine documentary, didn't. But you know, then you finally get to Casey, and like Casey was great, mm-hmm. you know, and all the Klingons who were amazing. So. Mm-hmm. Robert O'Reilly and Juan Armstrong, just fantastic. God, I mean, you just did list. You could just go down. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, speaking of lists. Oh, yeah, lists. speaking of lists. <laughs> so that brings us to uh, number 34, I believe. Number 34 is when I was a kid watching Star Trek, I, I don't know if it, it is the same way with kids today, but the opening of the episodes was always something that would get me excited because I knew what episode openings were. And one of the most exciting episode openings for a classic TOS episode for me was from the third season, The Enterprise Incident, Mm -hmm. where the Enterprise is seemingly taken on a fool's errand across the neutral zone by Kirk, who seems stressed out. And what happens to the strains of an incredible piece of music? The Enterprise finds itself surrounded by three Romulan vessels. The We all know using... Klingon designs, Klingon D7 battlecruisers that have been used by the Romulans in some kind of an arms deal, trading a cloaking device for weapons of ship designs, and the Enterprise is surrounded by three Klingon vessels. I don't think when I was a kid there was anything that made me more excited than the opening of the Enterprise incident when that occurs with that music because you knew that episode was going to just rule, and it does. Mm Mm-hmm. There you go. That's a great up. That great, was thirty four. Great. great uh, that's a look. It's a great teaser. You know, and it's so easy to dismiss the uh, third season of Star Trek. But I, I think we're going to see a lot of great scenes uh, coming up from the third season of Star Trek and the Enterprise incident again. DC Fontana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we keep coming back to her. Uh, what a, what a, what a great episode that is. Certainly one of the gems of, of season three. A, a fantastic teaser. Uh, and there's some great scenes in the Enterprise instance that may or may not appear later in our list. So we'll see. Yes. Um, Mr. Darren Docterman, number 33. 33. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out into pulp cu- pop culture for this one. Uh, it's from, I believe, season four of The Simpsons. I think the it's season Simpsons. four. Yes. Um, it, it's either season four or season seven. Don't quote me. Probably season four. The, from the episode called The Itchy and Scratchy Movie, the teaser of the of the the beginning of the episode has a teaser for Star Trek Twelve. So very tired. 
<laughs> and they have uh, they have Kirk and they have Scotty and they have uh, all the crew. Uh, my hiatal hernia is acting up, and the ship is drafty and damp, and it's amazingly funny. And uh, just uh, back when The Simpsons was hilarious, uh, it, it's uh, it's so much fun, and it's so much fun to see Star Trek Twelve. Before there was a Star Trek 12. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number 32. This is going to come as a surprise, nay, a shock to many of you. Then I'm going to pick a Voyager moment. (gasps) I told you. Wow. Yep. The Star Trek Voyager? <laughs> it's Voyager. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, no. In 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 a wonderful episode called "Living Witness." Captain Janeway of the warship Voyager, break off your attack, or I'll destroy you. They are not responding. They're returning fire. Shields are holding. Chakotay, any luck tracking down their leader? Not yet. We think Tedrin has gone into hiding. I thought he might. We'll have to flush him out. What do you suggest? Biogenic weapons will infect the most populated Kyrian territories. The doctor's nearly done working on the weapon. Our conflict is with Tedrin himself, not with his people. They're innocent. The best way to bring down a ruler is to make his people suffer. Captain. There's no time for half measures. You wanted victory. You're going to get it? Such a good episode. Where the, the, the uh, Voyager is, um, uh, society has has, has a, a misapprehension about Voyager. They think it's an interesting ship uh, with cool <laughs> people on board uh, doing horrible things. Um, uh, uh, just, <laughs> the living witness. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. there's, there's a great scene where, where, where you know, the doctor is, is being told the story. And Kate Mulgrew is filing her, Captain Janeway is filing her nails, ordering basically to destroy the Hulkins. <laughs> and uh, it's this great scene where she's just like ordering the annihilation of a planet. And, and she's sitting like leaning back in her chair, filing her nails. It's so great. It's 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 a really fun moment in a show that's you know devoid of a lot of fun moments. <laughs> I, I know Rob, <laughs> Rob is our resident Voyager scholar and fan here, but well, that um, is I think that episode is one of the great episodes of all of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think, and again, it takes place like hundreds of years in the future. You know where our our, our the Doctor, the holographic Doctor, ends up getting marooned. In a future time, it's a delightful science fiction episode, a story, and it's a great episode of Star Trek. Yeah, and and they're all great. But it's the same way that I think a lot of the actors were liberated, like on Enterprise in the Mirror Universe. I, I think you see all the actors, the ensemble of Voyager, really come to life, sort of playing th- this Rashomon version of their, right. their evil doppelgangers, <laughs> in a sense. You know, who 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 the society perceives as these awful people doing awful things. Yeah, and it, it's a fun. You know, high concept, but it's also you know it it makes for a, a you know some great moments of which you know my favorite is 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 Janeway you know sort of <laughs> want to wipe out the civilization <laughs> completely you know when she's finished getting her pedicure, so there you go. I know right. a surprise, a shock, it, uh, shock and surprise, shock and awe. I, I I only aspire to give pleasure and delight, so uh, pain and delight. So um, I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> let's get, well, let's go back. Okay. So anyway, we're now on to number thirty-one. Ashley E. Miller. Uh, number thirty-one. Uh, for some reason, I keep 
I feel this instinctive need to, to stick with a theme. So the theme from from Mark to, to me right now is captains uh, destroying and or threatening to destroy entire planets. Um, and my moment comes from yet another Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode for the uniform mm. Uh in which at the the very end, uh, Captain Sisko decides that the only way to convince the Maquis led by uh, former Starfleet officer Eddington, um, who was played by Kenneth Marshall, who I believe was the uh, the, the lead in Krull. He was, when he had Woo! hair. <laughs> I got that right, kids. <laughs> he had the feathered 80s hair, and then by the time he gets to Deep Space Nine, no. bald is a baby's bottom. Right, but you know, in the 24th century, they wouldn't care. Are I you trying they're... to attempt a Gene Roddenberry voice? Yes. Yes, okay. I am. Okay. Yeah. At least I recognize you. Thank words. you. So that's good. <laughs> See, I'm working what on would you taken say, your, think what about that first right station? You've taken your first step into a larger <laughs> world. <laughs> <laughs> so the moment is uh, Cisco has just uh, ordered an entire uh, Maquis colonized planet, basically destroyed um, with the very biogenic weapons that the Maquis have been stockpiling for use against the Cardassians after the Maquis attacked a Federation starship. And he threatens to do so again um, to force Commander Eddington, uh, former Commander Eddington, um, to surrender their stockpile of, of weapons and surrender himself. And he really does it. I mean, it's one of those moments when he gives that order and um, the crew just looks at him like they can't believe that he just said it. And it's so powerful because it really underlines um, what a difficult decision it is for Cisco, but how serious he is and how, how serious the stakes are. Um, and also just how great Deep Space Nine was about really establishing those kinds of stakes um, so that a character like Cisco, a Starfleet captain, uh, could exist in that world and still feel recognizable to us as a Starfleet captain and not just a, a mustache, you know, twirling Martinet or, or villain or or a crazy rogue captain. Well, he didn't even have a mustache. Oh well, yeah, yes, he did at the time. He had a he had a goatee. So there you go, and no hair. That was like bald Cisco. A goatee is not a mustache. Well, there's a mustache. That's why they call it a goatee. Well, it's not a goat either, is it? Indeed, it is not. <laughs> Number three, <laughs> Rob Burnett. Well, to keep to keep with the Deep Space Nine theme, uh, one of my favorite things that ever happened in Deep Space Nine that genuinely floored me comes from my favorite Star Trek, modern Star Trek two-parter, which is In Purgatory Shadow and By Inferno's Light. And the reveal that Dr. Mm. Julian Bashir... Was actually the Bashir we'd been watching for a number of episodes was not Julian Bashir, but was actually a changeling. And the real Bashir is being held in a prison camp, forced to compete in, <laughs> I guess, gladiatorial combat. But no, we find out that that people that we've known, Martok, uh, Doctor Bashir, have actually been captured. And this was this was something they'd been playing and planning for over episodes, and we'd never seen. I think we saw Deep Space Nine begin to tell these serialized stories for the first time in Star Trek history, but this really hammered it home that there was stuff going on in this show that we've never seen in Star Trek before. And that reveal genuinely floored me when I was and delighted me because I thought that really showed that Deep Space Nine was staking a claim into a different kind of storytelling that was a precursor to what we see all, all the time now. But at the time, truly astonishing to me, and I was floored by it. And I loved it. Totally agree. And it kind of told us as the audience that anything could happen yes. on this show. It also kind of showed us just how great an actor Sid is. 
you redeemed yourself for Sila. <laughs> is, that is one of the great moments of Deep Space Nine, and it, a ballsy move by Ira Bear and his writing staff. Yeah. It's it's a great reveal, um, and uh, a really interesting thing to do with the character. Great two parter, great moment in Star Trek history, and it just showed how you know Deep Space Nine, you know, wasn't you know willing to invert the tropes and 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 really do things that were groundbreaking and fresh and and a great and, moment for Doctor Basher. Doctor Basher, Doctor sure. Crusher, Doctor Basher. Basher. But, but I think it really, it, it also, Basher, it, it was, it really showed that this was a leap. I mean, Star Trek was always its five act structure, and the this was truly something. That now we see it all the time in television. But this was really a precursor to the kind of pulling the rug out from your viewership that happens all the time on shows now. But back then, especially on Star Trek, that was the last thing, and that's why it was such a shocking reveal. Yes, absolutely, great pick. Um, that brings us to Darren Dockerman. Yes. With number uh, 29. Number 29. Um, big surprise. I'm going to also do a Deep Space Nine moment. Wow. You? Me. But him? you'll understand when when I tell you what it is. Trials because and it, It's, in fact, from Trials <laughs> and Tribulations. Um, it's, the, uh, it's the moment near the end where Cisco uh, uh, is standing in front of Kirk uh, sitting in the, in the captain's chair. Uh, he's looking like a twelve-year-old, and uh, he 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 looks uh, so uh, enamored with uh, with being there next to Kirk, and surprisingly, Kirk looks like he wants to kiss uh, Ben Cisco, <laughs> because of course he was actually looking at Marlena, um, and, and they and they took that uh, from the episode. But it's a it's a lovely moment uh, among a lot of lovely moments for us uh, TOS fans in the Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations. One of the cleverest television episodes of any show Absolutely. ever produced. Brilliant. A-, a way to pay homage to the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. It's the Back to the Future 2 of Star Trek. <laughs> and I would argue more entertaining. <laughs> so uh, it- it's a great episode. And I- we've talked about this before that Ira hates when people say, that's my favorite episode of, of Deep Space Nine. Because, of yeah, course, well, it's not really a Deep Space Nine episode. It's no. a Star Trek episode. It's an original Star Trek episode. But it's, it's delightful. And um, so... Before we finish part one of our countdown, countdown to the 51 greatest Star Trek moments of all time, I will pick episode uh, number 28. Yes. Number 28. And 28, well, we've bashed this movie on the show many times, but like all great Star Trek, even when it doesn't succeed on uh, a lot of levels, there's usually something great about it. And in this case... It's a scene from Star Trek Three, stealing the Enterprise, mm-hmm. where the uh, the crew has to uh, basically uh, steal the Enterprise right. <laughs> in order to um, go back to Genesis and find their absent friend. Right. Now, uh, it's all downhill from there, but um, but uh, it's it's a great sequence. It's a, it's a fun sequence. It's a great uh, score by uh, James, James Horner. Horner. Wonderful little Jamie Horner. And some nice uh, some nice moments for all our cast members. It really utilizes the entire ensemble. Everybody's in on the action. Uhura gets something to do. Sulu with the famous Don't Call Me Tiny. Chekhov uh, in his Buster Brown outfit. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> you know, how many fingers am I holding up? Uh, just great <laughs> moments for everybody, and I think it really anchored by this beautiful James Horner uh, piece of music, and of course some wonderful ILM effects of the Enterprise yeah. leaving uh, space dock. And the first and last time that we meet Mister Adventure. 
Yeah. <laughs> and we get to see the ugliest starship in the galaxy the conk out as yeah. it yeah. tries okay. to well, and, 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 which is the demarcation point where the scene goes from being one of the 51 greatest <laughs> moments to one of the worst and whoever decided in the sound mix that we're going to put the Excelsior running out of gas and it was probably Leonard <laughs> Not I think choice. you got to make it sound like it's running out of gas. <laughs> <laughs> but that brings us to the end of this episode. Of the beginning. That's right. The end of the beginning. This was uh, uh, 50, 51, the first part, uh, as we do our New Year's countdown. Join us for our next episode as we take you what will be number one. How many episodes of uh, the original will there possibly be on there? <laughs> even even will, Ruck doesn't know. Will Discovery make the cut? Will uh, Will Enterprise make an appearance? All very interesting questions to ponder as you wait for the next episode to drop. On behalf of Robert, Ashley, Darren, and myself, we're delighted you joined us for another New Year's countdown. We have a lot of fun with these. And Casey Kasem, take us out. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Inglorious Trexperts, then thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for enjoying us for Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a fan of the podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like The 430 Movie, Rebel and the Rogue, uh, Best Movies Never Made, and all the others. Now, you can stream us, uh, uh, the video podcast of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts on Electric Now by downloading Stir, Zumo, or Distro TV app on your tablet, phone, or TV. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at the Electric Surge Network and producer Natalie Mascali, and of course, Dean Devlin, without whom this show would not be possible. So keep reaching for the stars <laughs> and keep trekking in gloriously, of course, because we're going to be back as we count down to the number one greatest Star Trek moment of all time. See you then. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.